Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 18 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We should have done that six months ago. For people just tuning in, That was one of the introductions that we used years and years ago. And for some reason, somewhere along the line, some program director, Vince Vitrano, just decided we're going to change stuff up. I I, I don't know. And so and that, that of course, is that's the introduction from probably years and years ago. But Eric Bilstead did this thing on me leaving. I said, I really like that intro. So we brought it back for the last couple of days. Everybody likes that intro. Name name names. Who changed things for the sake of changing them? I I honestly don't remember. No, no, no. Look, at this point in time, I got nothing to lose. Great intro. I, it was, and I, I just, but we've we've gone through, you know, what happens is you have all these different, this is over the years, consultants or program directors, yeah. and a lot of times it is change for the sake of change. You know, we, we went through this period where we had jingles, Jeff Wagner, you know, yeah. we, we we had jingles, and then, then we had the big, long introductions with, like, clips from Braveheart or something that, like, mm-hmm. ate up two and a half minutes before the show started. We, we go through different, different cycles. And, and then someone comes in and says, why are you wasting two and a half minutes? I want to hear Jeff right out of the gate. I want him to come through. Well, I asked that from the beginning right. when we started doing that, but it was just like, just just do it. Just go with the flow, which is kind of the thing. Okay, to that, then does this ever happen to you? So tonight, uh, the, the station is, is hosting a, a goodbye party for me, which is very, very kind of them. And, you know, friends have invited and you know, different folks. So I thought I should, I should dress like a lawyer. So I decide I'm, I'm going to wear a suit, right? Okay. So I, I put on a suit and you can, you can see this if you follow us on, you know, YouTube, our, the YouTube channel, go to WTMJ. So I'm, I'm kind of, I decided to class yeah, it up a sharp. little bit. Absolutely. Thanks. Well, so here's the thing. So I, I, and, and does this ever happen to your house? So I, I get dressed upstairs. My, my suits and stuff are, my lawyer suits and stuff are up in the upstairs closet. So I, I, I come down and my wife looks at me and says, well, you're wearing a suit. I said, yeah, I thought it was appropriate at the party to come on tonight and stuff. And she says, don't like the tie. <laughs> don't, don't, don't like, don't like the tie. And, you know, a lot of times my reaction is, what do you mean you don't like the tie? But see, I've kind of learned, and especially as you're kind of easing into retirement, it's kind of go, I said, okay. All the ties are upstairs. Go, go pick one. So I sit. I'm eating my bowl of special K, and she goes upstairs and comes back. She's got like eight ties, and she's like, "We're, we're going through," and she's looking at things. Well, this one doesn't match. This one doesn't match. And she says, "You know, that tie you're wearing, it really does kind of go with the suit." That you has pick. never happened to me. <laughs> right? No, not the full about <laughs> but, face. <laughs> but, but, well, no, no, no. But she says, "But yeah. this one goes better." Okay. Good. <laughs> so I. It's so okay. The the original tie comes off. I, I put that on. It's just kind of. You know, you and the truth is, she's right. I, I freely acknowledge that. I might hate to admit it from time to time, but she ends up being right. On issues of that, like I, I look at myself, like, I don't care. So right. go ahead and pick one. It, it, exactly. <laughs> I really don't care. Other than that, well, so then she's. This is other, so okay. So I'm dressed. I'm getting ready. I'm, again, I'm going to eat the cereal. I'm going to take the dog out for a walk. Then I'm going to work. And she says, "Well, 
you know, she says that the problem really ne- isn't necessarily a tie. The problem is the suit doesn't go with anything. So maybe you want to change the suit. I said, no, I change clothes entirely. No, right. I draw the line. I, I will. I will switch that. But she ends up being right. So if you kind of tune us in, this is this is the tie that Fran picked out, and she was right. I, I think we might have talked about this yesterday, but it is it is kind of funny that um, we we were talking about this. And, and as you try to figure out how to go into retirement, because like yesterday, uh, Barrett News Service, which is kind of like Variety, it's one of the for the, for the industry, and they came out with different ratings. And uh, among midday, mid market shows, they they ranked my show number three in the country, which is you know very very flattering. I I said that to Fran, and her first comment to me was, "Oh, that's going to be look some, something that looks good on your resume," and I'm like. Okay, what 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 resume at this point in time am I putting together? I thought you wanted me around the house. I thought I thought you wanted this to resume, right? right. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it is one of those kind of nice things that is uh, one of those nice things that's sort of out there. So, but you know, I know you have plans to do something and an assortment of things. I have a good friend who's been in a lot of different sort of businesses along the way. He's an entrepreneur and and things like that. And he, one of his lines that he uses on me frequently is. One of the only things I've ever failed at in life is retirement. Really? Because <laughs> <laughs> he keeps launching new little businesses or new ventures, and he you know, can't stay down. Interesting. Well, again, I, I you know it's funny because I I know a lot of people who have retired, and with one exception, everybody just like they they enjoy it. You know, with 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 one, I've got one one buddy who just I, I think you know, really is sorry. I mean, I think, I think it was, he hit the mandatory retirement age at his company and stuff, but I think he missed it. But other than that, I think pretty much everybody I know is like, well, we have no trouble filling our, our days with all sorts of stuff. And I have, I have the ability, I don't know about you, Vince, but I, I have the ability to be able to be content doing nothing. I mean, I can, I can sit out on, you know, my back porch on our deck and, and read a book and, you know, pet the dog and have a cup of coffee. And I can easily kill two hours doing that. I mean, I have no problem at all doing that. I I think that's fantastic. And I envy you because one of the things that I say when we go on vacation or whatever, I'm not a beach vacation person because I don't relax well. And it's, it's actually to the point where it's unhealthy. Like you got to unplug, you got to, got to decompress. And I have the things that I do, you know, when when you're on the golf course, I, I pay attention to golf. So I do unplug for, four hours or whatever it is. But, you know, in terms of just sitting and being able to chill and just be in the moment, not, not one of my strong suits. I got to get there. You got to work on yeah, that. Teach me. <laughs> yeah, you got you to work on that. I'll come visit you. Yeah, you yeah, teach right, me. Right. Exactly. Like, look that up. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Here, I, I, we've, I have been getting uh, just an overwhelming number of texts and of emails and everybody's been so very kind. But one of the real interesting things about this is it, it's it's helped educate me as to like the, the the scope of things and and how you perceive and how you take in what you know what we do here and I I've been hearing one of the things I'm actually proudest of is this multi generation stuff I hear from I'm hearing from a lot of people who are in their their twenties and thirties who grew up listening to like my program and, and talk radio in general because their parents did and so now it's like a second or now they're starting to have kids and it's a second or a third generation which is so very cool. Also, one of the big changes, and people have been asking me about what what are the what are the big changes that that you've seen since you started doing this. And I, it's I mean for me that the easy answer is the um, of course the internet, which has really of course taken off over the course of the last twenty five years, and it's the advent of cell phones. 
Um, you know, it used to be when I first started doing this, some people had car had phones in their cars and things like that. But but the fact that, you know, now everybody has has cell phones that they can walk around with and can participate or can send texts. That's been a big thing. But here I'm also amazed. One of the things that's happened is the technology has allowed people to listen from all over the country and all over the world. And, and that's I mean, I'm always amazed by texts I get from people who, uh, again, are, are listening in Europe or Hawaii or, you know, other parts of the country. A lot of times it, it's folks who are transplants who want to keep uh, in touch. And sometimes it's things like this. Jeff, congratulations on your upcoming retirement. I am active duty U.S. Air Force member, originally from Green Bay. I started listening to you on and off during college, then more often during my Air Force career, listening more or less regularly since 2006. Your show has been a constant comfort and a way to stay grounded during very up and down times with the world around me. Also a way to stay connected to Wisconsin topics. I'm currently listening from Hawaii. Your show has been listened to in places such as Iraq and Afghanistan. Bet you didn't think you'd be listened to from Kabul, Afghanistan, as well as Tokyo and Nagoya, Japan, as well as Florida, Arkansas, Texas, Guam, California, and Hawaii. I've had the pleasure to have called in on rare occasions, even from Japan with the time difference when the military top when the topic had a military slant. You've also read a few of my emails from time to time. Wanted to tell you how much of a pleasure it's been to listen to you throughout the years, and you'll be missed. Best wishes in all you do. Thank you again. And that's from a lieutenant colonel who is currently, I'm not going to read his name, but it's currently stationed in Hawaii. And um, stuff like this, just, I mean, um, it's it's been a pleasure to have you listening. And I, I just, I don't take that for granted. And that's something I'm definitely going to miss. When we come back. Do you think it's this guy's first time at the rodeo? Stick around. Did you see this story um, and, or hear about the story? You know, Vince was leading his news with it. I, I just, I, I, there's some stories that you just, you just don't even know what to say about them. Okay, 12.05 a.m. near 39th and Hampton th- this morning. So it, it's right after midnight. A 10-year-old child was shot and wounded in Milwaukee. Police say a 10-year-old victim sustained a life-threatening gunshot injury and was taken to the hospital for treatment. Charges are going to be reviewed by the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office. A 13-year-old was taken into custody. A 13-year-old. Now, they're they're not releasing the, the facts and circumstances about this, but there's just so much wrong with with this this picture, okay, it's it's after midnight. You're talking about a ten and a thirteen year old. You've got now the the shooting, life threatening gunshot injury. Now again, we we don't know the facts and circumstances, but but what, there, there's no justification for the facts and circumstances. I mean, you know what? I, I mean, I don't know if this was the thirteen year old tried to shoot the ten year old. I don't know if this was an accidental gun discharge or whatever. But it doesn't real. It doesn't matter. I mean, you've got a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. 13-year-old, what's he doing with a gun? I mean, seriously, what is he doing with a, a gun? And, you know, what are they doing not being watched or whatever at after midnight on a Tuesday night, for goodness sakes? All right. Here, and, and we'll get more details about that, but it's just one of these things that, man, you just shake your head. Okay, so frequently on this program, what I'd like to do is, is highlight the, these criminal instances and then what we do is we go back and we look and we say, all right, 
what, what's what's the criminal record of the person involved? And as I frequently say, I mean, it, it just normally there is a lengthy criminal record because typically you don't wake up one morning and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to take the sawed off shotgun and I'm going to go over the Piggly Wiggly and I'm going to carjack the 80 year old lady. Typically, there is <clears throat> a, a, a run up to this. And it's criminal activity after criminal activity and conviction after conviction and wrist slapped and put on double secret probation leading up to this. And so it's always foreseeable and it's always predictable. Now, they haven't formally filed charges in this case yet. But when we look through the facts, I guess my question is, can you imagine what this person's criminal record is? So this is the way Channel 12 reports it. Multi-state chase ends in crash in Pewaukee. Waukesha police canine catches the driver. So here is the story. After a chase through Illinois and Wisconsin, a suspect was apprehended by Waukesha police canine unit on Tuesday afternoon in Pewaukee. The car the man was driving was stolen during an armed robbery in Milwaukee and was spotted in Illinois Tuesday morning. Okay, so here's the details. So you have a car that apparently is stolen in Milwaukee, armed robbery. So Illinois police said a trooper seized the vehicle on Interstate 90 near Elgin, Illinois. So, okay, all the lights go on. This is a car, armed robber, stolen in Milwaukee. As the vehicle exited the I-90, exited I-90, the interstate, at Randall Road, responding units tried to perform a traffic stop, but the driver failed to stop. Gee, surprise follows surprise. This is the Milwaukee way. Everybody runs. The driver performed a U-turn and continued eastbound on I-90, Illinois State Police said. So, okay, now we've got a high-speed chase. It is, you know, we we started the show with the Blues Brothers music. This is like the end of the Blues Brothers movie, you know, because now you've got the chase. The vehicle then crossed the state line into Wisconsin, so driving north. The Kenosha County Sheriff's Office said it was made aware of the chase coming up Interstate 94 out of Gurnee around 1.30 to 1.45 p.m. So this is this is not 1.45 in the morning. This is car involved in an armed robbery, stolen car, driving like a bat out of you-know-what on the freeway, 1.30, 1.45. Kenosha County squad cars followed the pursuit until it hit Racine County. And then the Racine County Sheriff's Office took over. It is the end of the Blues Brothers movie where everybody's chasing this. About 2 p.m., Waukesha police say they were alerted to the car as it traveled through the city. The driver traveled off-road into an open area west of the Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin building on Gulf Road near Prospect Avenue in Pewaukee. So now you're all the way out to Pewaukee. At one point, one of the squad cars tried to use a pit maneuver to try to get the car to stop but was not successful. That's where they, they try to bang into the, the front end of the car, or the rear end of the car, and cause it to swerve. The vehicle was stopped in a marsh area. However, the suspect was revving his engine. The suspect would not listen or surrender to law enforcement. No, because he'd been leading people on a high-speed chase since Illinois. A city of Waukesha police canine officer was able to apprehend and catch the suspect. In other words, they took one of those big old dogs and they let the dog loose on the guy, whoever was driving the car. All officers, deputies and troopers involved are doing well, including the canine, Waukesha police said. See, that's one of the important aspects of this. You know, if 
if if the bad guy ends up getting bit by the dog or stuff, who cares? But, you know, I'm glad the dog came out of this okay. Four city of Waukesha police squads were damaged during this incident. Four squads. Um, the suspect was taken to an area hospital and treated for injuries he sustained while fighting with the police canine. Okay, well, that, you're, you're going to lose that one. I have a good idea. Waukesha police are in charge of the investigation. It's not known where the chase actually started. All right, so I, I go through that, that background. Stolen Car stolen in an armed robbery. They see it in Illinois. It leads police um, on a multi-state high-speed chase that ends up in Pewaukee. The guy ultimately you know, beaches the car in a marsh. <clears throat> refusing to come out of the car they got to sick the dogs on him okay now what i want you to do is just try to imagine what what is the criminal record of the guy that was involved in this i mean what is the criminal record was this was this just something that over the last 48 hours or so you wake up one morning and say hey today's the day i'm going to go out and i'm going to carjack a a, a car and then i'm going to lead the police on a multi-state multi-county high-speed chase and then i'm going to refuse to come out until they sick the dogs on me was this your first time at the radio rodeo did you just wake up one morning and decide this is what i'm going to do or will it when they issue charges turn out that this suspect has a lengthy criminal record of in and out of the court system of probation and double secret probation and three years in jail, sentence suspended, time served, whatever. What do you think, what do you think his record is going to be? And hopefully, I've only got another couple days doing this, hopefully they'll they'll issue charges before um, all this, before I leave the radio, because I will share that with you, because my guess is, my guess is, as so often happens, not the bad guy's first time at the rodeo. And now, hopefully, assuming he's charged in somewhere other than Milwaukee County, hopefully it will be his last time at the rodeo. Time will tell. Back with more in just a minute. Police in schools, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. I will share the story and we will discuss. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. A headline in the Journal Sentinel that I find to be peculiar. Now, look, there's there's no question about it that the, the paper, which always had left leanings, has taken a hard left turn. I think that's just kind of the reality. No, that, that's fine. It just it kind of is what it is. And you see that in a lot of different publications. But some of the stories they choose to write and some of the angles they, take to t- they choose to take, I, I think, are particularly peculiar. Here's the way the story starts. When students return to Milwaukee Public Schools after winter break, they could be greeted by 25 police officers stationed through the district. As part of a June state law that boosted local government funding, lawmakers tucked in a requirement for MPS to work with the Milwaukee Police Department to hire at least 25 school resource officers by January 1st. Now, first of all, let me just say, I, I tucked in is a peculiar way to present this because when this budget was going through, this was a big thing. You know, school research, we talked about it on multiple occasions. So tucked in implies that, oh, this was secretly put in there. No, this has been something that's been going on for a while. The move is a mandated reversal for the district, which has cut its last contract with police in 2020. Research has increasingly questioned whether police officers are effective in schools, finding they do not deter intruders and can wear down students' mental health. 
can wear down students' mental health. Having a police officer in a school in order to, I don't know, protect the kids and respond quickly can wear down students' mental health. MPS administrators and school board members have not discussed their plans for these officers in public board meetings. Um, Ben Fisher, a University of Madison, of course, associate professor who reviewed 32 evaluations of school-based police programs, said he found that police in schools weren't shown to diminish school violence, crime, or the presence of weapons or drugs. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. God save me from lefty professors and this anti-cop um, attitude that that is there. So I understand there are people out there, progressive educators or whatever, who don't like the idea of police in schools. Now, let me just start with a basic premise. And yeah, this might be one of those topics where finally, after 25 years, if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, um, my, where my head finally does explode. But let, let's kind of back up on this. All right. Police in schools. What what do they do? Well, I mean, first of all, you, you have police that I believe act as a deterrent. I mean, if you know you've got an armed police officer in the school, maybe you are less likely to get into a major fight. Maybe you're less likely to show up at that school with a gun and start shooting. I guess my first reaction is, number one, it cannot hurt. Number two, as far as deterrent, you don't know what you don't know. By that, I mean you don't know how many acts of violence there might have been planned at schools that did not occur because there was known to be the presence of police officers. So you don't know how much of this stuff was thwarted. Third, when you have police in schools, and, and this is one of the big points I make, it, it I think it promotes socialization. I understand that there are people out there who view the police as an occupying force. I, I get it. I feel sorry for them because it's going to be tough to kind of go through life um, in with that kind of attitude. But if you have an officer in the school interacting with the kids on a regular basis, daily, you know, weekly, what, whatever, it gives the kids an opportunity to see the police in a different context. So this isn't a situation where, okay, the police have pulled over some kid's older brother who's got who's a felon who's got a gun under the seat and they've been arrested. This is a situation where you can see the police and recognize that the cops are normal people. So maybe next time when you have an interaction with the police on the street, you're going to say, oh, okay, I don't have to view the police as an occupying force. This idea that there's anything, anything to be lost by having police in schools is, in my opinion, absolutely, totally, completely, 100%, entirely crazy. It's bat crap crazy. There, there's just no other way to look at it. What is the harm in having a police officer in the schools? Now, I, I understand the argument is, well, maybe the, maybe the kids are going to feel threatened. Huh? Okay, you should be threatened by the fact that there's the potential for violence in the schools. A police officer serves as a deterrent for that. And, well, let's open up the phone lines. Our number, 855.
616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. And by the way, for anybody who thinks that police aren't in schools now, look at some of the reports. You've got cops that are getting called to the schools. Some of the schools in MPS, for example, are getting called on a, a regular basis multiple times a week to deal with violence that has broken out. And yet we have this story, well, do cops in schools help or hurt? Who in the name of fill in the blank could think that police officers in the school hurt? Now, maybe again, you can argue, all right, are the police, you know, is, is a better use of resources to have them responding when there's the fight at the school or whatever? Okay, that's it. But who in their right mind could think that having a police officer in a school as a school research officer, resource officer could hurt? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. God help us from overpaid academic researchers who come up with theories and then try to find data that supports them despite what common sense tells you. You can argue, I guess, you know, is, is having an armed police officer in the schools, does, does that deter criminal behavior? I guess you can argue that, but I mean, what, there, there seems to me there's absolutely no harm in that because you've got, I would argue, yes, but if nothing else, you've got a police officer who's on the premises and can perhaps respond quickly. But also, like I was saying earlier, there's the socialization. The kids get to see police, a police officer in sort of a different context than maybe they see him otherwise. So I just don't see the harm in it at all. And yet you have this ridiculous story in the local paper quoting some researchers saying, well, I mean, it, it might it might wear down students' mental health. What do you mean wear down students' mental health? What wear down students, wears down students' mental health is the fights that break out, you know, the all-star beatdowns like happened, you know, in West Bend at the high school. The fact that cops have to get called on a multiple times a week basis to some area high schools, that wears down mental health. Not the fact that you've got a police officer who's in the schools interacting with the kids. 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, um, uh, look, kids need to learn in school that police are their friend. They need to respect them. They're there to protect and enforce laws. Our local school has a resource, resource officer who's a policeman, and the rest of the time in our community, he takes the time to shoot baskets with some of the kids, interact with what they're doing while he's on the job at the school. Jeff. My guess is the police are already there on a daily basis. My daughter goes to Lake Country, uh, a Lake Country school. There's a police officer there all the time. No problem at all. Um, Jeff, I would pretty much bet my last dollar the kids would be way more relaxed with a cop at school with all the school shootings these days. Um, you know, no question about this. Um, Jeff, wear down the students. The reporter that wrote that is incredibly naive or excessively liberal for um, using this statement. <laughs> well, you you would kind of um, think about that. 855-616-1620. Let's start with, um, let's see, Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, hey my thoughts are, you know, the cops have been there and they got actually voted out of being there. And when they got voted out of being in the schools, they were go there. They would go there anyway, two or three times a day on calls. Sure. Uh, these uh, these teachers and professors that are pr- uh, doing this stuff, uh, those cops can save their behind someday. Well, it it is. No, thank, thanks for calling. Mike. I mean, this see, this all started as part of the now completely discredited defund the police movement. This idea that the cops are an occupying force and, you know, we 
we don't want the kids to feel traumatized by having kids there. And so that that was kind of the attitude that developed. And I think most people realize that that was just a really, really stupid period of time. And in all these different communities that have decided, let's defund the police. Well, now they're, they're, they're trying to get the police back as quickly as they can because they realized, you know, when you defund the police, when you have fewer police officers, what happens? Crime goes through the roof. But that's kind of the mentality. And it still exists in a lot of academia. Oh, the, the police are going to be evil. I mean, really, if, if, if kids are uncomfortable with a police officer in the school, that tells me it's more of a problem with the kids and more of a problem with the school than it is with the police um, that are there. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um, as a former teacher, I know that we had police officers in the building, and um, it's it's necessary, especially these kids feel much more comfortable when there is someone like that in the building, not the other way around. They don't, they're not traumatized because they're there. They're happy they're there because with what's going on in the schools these days and all the the stuff, you never know what's going to happen to have someone in this building that can take care of that and, and not have to be one of us um, is amazingly an important factor. Oh, no, you're, you're exactly right, Sue. And again, here, here's one of the dazzling details of the 10 largest school districts in the state. The only two school districts that do not have school resource officers are Madison and Milwaukee. Now, that's going to change in Milwaukee because of the new budget law. But, but okay, of the 10 largest, eight out of 10 have school resource officers. And I think you can make a strong argument that the two school districts that are most in need of having a police presence would be Milwaukee and would be Madison. I mean, that, that and it's interestingly that, again, these are these lefty school boards and stuff who've decided the police are occupying forces and we're not going to have them there. Well, it's interesting that it works well in eight of ten of the districts. But Milwaukee and Madison thought, well, we know better than this. And again, it look, I, I do a lot of this stuff, so you don't have to. But if, if you look at. You know, there's incidents. We could spend an entire show talking about, you know, reported incidents at at MPS or, you know, at the schools in in Madison. The cops are getting called there all the time. Um, Let's talk to Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon. I agree completely. Um, You know, it should be non-threatening if they're doing if they're not doing anything wrong then it should be, uh, you know, they should feel secure. And it also makes you, like, stand up a little straighter, be a little more Mm -hmm. uh, squared away, because, you know, it is the police or the law enforcement. And it just, you know, if that's what we have to do to keep them squared away for their future, then that's what we have to do. All right. I mean, I mean it just, what know. is the downside? See, that's what I keep wrestling with. What What is, and I agree with everything you said, but what what is the downside of having a school security officer there? I mean, it's it's like saying, okay, you, you shouldn't have security officer, we shouldn't have a, a security guard in stores or whatever. What What is the downside of having a police officer in a school? I, and I just, I just flat out don't get it. I don't either, and I, I'm sure there's some people are rebels, and you know they 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 resist authority and that type of thing. 
But for every, the majority of the kids or students, um, I think it's important. And you're always going to have those ones that are the bad egg or the bad seed or whatever. But, you know, for the majority, I think it's a necessity. Yeah, I, well, exactly. Or, or at least at, at the at, – thanks for the call, Chris. Or at the very least – it, it, it's a it's a no harm situation. I would argue that I mean you you can get good at, out of this if nothing else. Like let's look at MPS. There are schools where you have the police that are called to these schools multiple times a week. At, at least if you've got a school security officer there, you have somebody who's in the position of being able to respond immediately. And when I was talking about this with one of my friends as well, one of the things that we don't know and we can't quantify is the intelligence component of this. Maybe, and by that I mean, okay, the school resource officer picks up words, picks up information that maybe there's supposed to be a gang fight or something that's going to be occurring or, or whatever, and they can work to defuse this. But this idea that, oh, this is so terrible and it's going to hurt the school, the kids' mental health, I mean, really, some people need to get over themselves. And I understand that there's a crazy lefty theory for, for everything, but to argue and I also understand that reasonable people can disagree about things. I appreciate that. But uh, police presence in schools, a school security officer, I think almost everybody would agree it's a good thing. And even if you don't think it's a good thing, you would agree that it's a neutral thing unless you're some crazy cop hater that's out there. So um, will this make schools safer? I, I don't know. But I guess my reaction is, given everything that's been going on at MPS over these last several years, it can't hurt. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff, a couple of years ago, our district added a full-time school resource officer to our middle school. To be honest, it was a little unnerving driving up to the school on the first day with him standing outside directing traffic. Took my daughter about a week to get used to it. But now he is part of the fabric of the school and provides peace of mind knowing he's there protecting our kids. Sad to say that this is needed, but it is the reality of the world we live in. Yeah. Jeff, I'm a teacher. I appreciate the cops, and my mental health is better when they're in-house. Well, yes, Jeff, um, if the students do feel threatened and their mental health is challenged because police are in the schools, it's because the parents have taught them to be. Yeah, I think that there's um, there's an element there. Jeff, my son goes to school in a northern county where the closest patrol deputy is 35 minutes away. I'd rather have an officer there to respond right away. Yeah, this is right. This this is all the these factors that that are out there. And it's all the reasons why this is a positive sort of thing. Uh, again, unless you're one of these cop haters. And if you're teaching your kids to be a cop hater, well, okay, I can't help you with that. But that's not a good way to go through life. Having interactions, regular socializations with a police officer in a non-threatening sort of way at the schools, I, I think that's that's a very good thing. Hey, WISN, Channel 12, had a story last night that I, I wanted to comment on. A uh, Chicago-area COVID-19 testing lab made millions from Medicare. A Schaumburg, Illinois, COVID-19 testing lab owner is now charged in federal court with scheming to defraud Medicare out of millions of dollars. Then the guy's name, he's the owner of Luna Labs, is charged with health care fraud in federal court in Chicago. Federal prosecutors say Luna Labs received $31 million. Greg Matzik, $31 million. 
dollars. That's it in taxpayer money from Medicare in three months. Thirty-one million in three months. The company billed Medicare records show sixty-nine million dollars in three hundred almost three hundred fifty thousand claims for over two million COVID nineteen tests. So here, here, here's and this is what I know. I know about this. I I have friends who are on Medicare. Lots of friends who are on Medicare, and they have been telling me over the last few months that they were getting unsolicited. COVID test after COVID test, dozens of those boxes of COVID tests that were coming in the mail. They, they weren't, they, 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 they didn't ask for them, they didn't need them, whatever. They were coming in the mail unsolicited to the point that they were calling. And look, I mean, the, the way Medicare works for a lot of people is it, it doesn't cost you anything. It costs the government stuff. That, that's just the, the, the reality. If you've got like the supplement and all, you're not paying for it, but you're getting these things. And, and my friends, I'm thinking of my friends, Alan and Patty in particular, and Jerry and Heidi, they're getting all these things. They would call Medicare and they would say, look, we, we did not order these. We're getting dozens of these things in the mail. And Medicare would say, well, we're going to look into it. Well, th- this, now I don't know if, this is the guy or this was the lab that was sending them all these unwanted tests or whether there's other scammers that are out there. But this this COVID thing was this huge scam because these labs somehow, you know, got people's Medicare numbers and started sending them unsolicited all sorts of COVID tests. In some cases, they didn't even send them the tests. You know, it just would show up on on your bill. And again, it's, you know, I think a lot of times when people get the Medicare bills, you just kind of look at the bottom and see that you owe nothing. So you don't care. But but this is this has been something widespread. And now you're talking about somebody like twenty seven million dollars in fraud by either sending unsolicited Medicare tests or just billing people for stuff they didn't get. Um, They estimate that um, they billed Medicare for COVID-19 tests using the Medicare number of 744 dead people. Dead people. So dead people, unsolicited stuff. This is an incredible scam. If you wonder why Medicare is going broke, it's because of slime bags like this who are doing these things. So, again, I don't know how widespread this is, whether it's just one lab or whatever. But if you are one of those people that, you know, you look at your Medicare things, you go out to your mailbox and all of a sudden you've got like 15 COVID tests that you didn't order. You want to call the investigators because they do, in fact, look into this. Will they ever be able to recover this money? I don't know. But there are these sleazy people and these sleazy operators out there who are scamming the system in a big way. And my guess is one of the reasons this operation got caught is because it was so incredibly greedy. If they had only were trying to bilk the system out of a million or two, I wonder if it had been caught. In this case, they were trying to bilk the system out of 27 million or 31 million or whatever. But if you are one of those people that got all these unsolicited COVID tests, well, yeah, you you were part of a scam involving sleazy operators that were trying to rip off the taxpayers. And like I say, if you wonder, you know, why why we need to be concerned about Medicare solvency, part of it is because of things like this. So if I'm the federal judge and this person gets convicted, I guarantee you that he's not going to see the light of day for a long, long time. When we come back, do endorsements matter? What should the Board of Regents do? Israel starts doing something that I suggested they do about a week ago. All that's coming up in the 1 o'clock hour of the program.
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Greg Matzik, I have almost no regrets about stuff we've done over the last 25 years. I do sort of regret. We used to use that introduction. I love that introduction. And somewhere along the line, the decision was made that we're going to switch off. And so we brought it back for the last w- Was that days. in the early days of Blues Brother? Because yeah. it became very jingle happy in the 2000s, kind of when Wagner, I started. Greg Matzik. Yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah, I, you know. I don't know it, why. It, after... You know, it, it, the time all runs together. That you know, people have been asking me about memories and stuff, and it, it just you know, twenty five years is kind of it, it went by in the, the blink of an eye. But th- that was that was one of the original opens that we used, and I, I heard you know Matzik did this piece, uh, not Matzik, um, Eric Bilstad did this piece, and I thought, oh, I'd really like that. So we brought it back for the last couple. There you of days. go. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, we we went through we went through the jingle phase. We went through the. The, the long introductions with like clips from Braveheart and things like that, you know, the, the <laughs> yeah, big Sykes stuff. That. Yeah, right, yeah, like I mean, it, it, it took two minutes to start the show. Right, you know, right. you've got you've got only X amount of time, and we did all that. So, but I love that Blues Brothers stuff. So we've kind of brought that back. Um, I was listening to your report, the stock market up with a rocket all of a sudden. Yeah, this is meaty. Now the Dow's approaching thirty-seven thousand. It feels like it went from about thirty-three to thirty. I don't know if the thirty-four thousands even happened. Like it just raced by that into thirty-five. Right. Well, what's what, what's driving the increase today is the Federal Reserve met for the last time this year, and the Federal Reserve for the last two years in an effort to hold inflation in check has been raising interest rates, the rates they charge banks, which means then the banks charge us all more when we want our car loans or they charge more for industry. Um, you know, if, if you've got a manufacturing company and you want to take out a loan because you want to hire more people and make more stuff, you have to pay more on interest. So the, the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates in an effort to curb inflation saying okay well we we don't want the, these companies hiring more people i understand it, it sounds kind of weird but that's what it's doing we we don't want them hire you know producing more stuff right now we don't want them paying higher wages and so that's been going on for the better part of two years now like in today the federal reserve said okay we're, we're not raising rates anymore this year and they're projecting that they could cut them as much as three times next year so that's that's good news for like businesses who are now saying, hey, you know, maybe, you know, we can start producing more and we can start growing, et cetera. Yeah. So the only potential negative, and, and you and I have talked about this, as rates have continued to increase in the worlds of, you know, mortgages, car loans, HELOCs, all that kind of stuff, they've also gone up in the money market accounts or right. the high interest savings accounts that you might have at your bank or credit union. Right. Where CD rates are four and a half, five percent, and that's easy money, right? Right, right. So that there is like that also takes a hit if rates come down. If you can lock something in now, great. Right, exactly. If that's the way you want to go. I mean the fixed income market has been killed for the last couple of years because as interest rates go up, um what what happens is like if I've got a if I've got a bond that's paying 5%, for example, and interest rates go up and now the bond's paying 6%, you can buy a new bond for 6%, all those people that have the 5% bonds, well, they're, they're losing money. And so that's why fixed income's been so bad. But now, like the fixed income market, um, the treasury yield, that that's that's taking off. So people who've been getting killed in, in fixed income, which 
over the last couple of years. Now they're starting to make money. The stock market's starting to go up. It's hey, this might be a good time to good retire. Time to retire. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> exactly you know. Right. <laughs> what, what, there you what, go. What, what can you say? So that is um, that is very good news. So it's moving along. Good stuff. Yeah, I like to see that up near thirty-seven thousand for the Dow today. Okay, Fantastic. But you're not ready to retire yet. You're I, no, sticking around, so I, right? So you know, I've got like a little e-trade account, and we've got uh, the rest of our stuff with Annex Wealth Management, which is great, and we've had to. You know, we, we know we're, we've got a long-term plan in place here, right? We're 20 years away, roughly, from retirement. My wife would like to retire early, which is great. I support that idea. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting to look at today, but it's nothing to worry about, good or bad. It is important. Today. I always say, this is, one of, this is one of the things I say all the time, it's important to have a plan. Even even if it's a bad plan, it's important to have a plan, right? (laughs) Right, right. But it sounds like you've got a good plan. We've scribbled it out on a napkin, and we're sticking to it. There you go. Thank you, Greg Matzik. Okay, um, just a couple follow-ups on what we were talking about in at the very end of the program, at the very end of the last hour. And and this this is a true story. I've very dear friends who are on Medicare, and they were they they were telling me the story. They they were getting unsolicited dozens of of COVID nineteen. Tests. They'd go out to the mailbox, and the mailbox was full with these things, and, and they hadn't ordered them. And then what they did is they'd look at their Medicare accounts, and they'd find that Medicare was being billed for them. And the way it would work, without going too much into the deep in the weeds, is it, they weren't being charged for them, but but Medicare was being charged for them. But th- nonetheless, that that means taxpayers are paying for it. That means you know, even though it's not coming out of your pocket, you know, there there was somebody. That was making a bunch of money for these unsolicited Medicare tests, and um, two sets of my friends called, you know, Medicare, and they reported it. And they said, "Okay, thank, thank, we'll, we'll take your information." And and now you're getting these reports out. At least how one one lab in Illinois and the guy that owns the lab has now been indicted, and they're talking about like thirty million dollars in in fraud by just sending out unwanted COVID kits, and then somehow they they got. You know, people's Medicare numbers, and they were, were billing them. And I think this has been you know going on for quite a while. Here's just a couple of texts. Jeff, thanks for discussing the COVID test scam. It happened to me. I got my Medicare statement and noted that a company from Brooklyn, New York, had asked Medicare to pay for testing. I called Medicare and reported the company. A Medicare rep said they were aware of the company and appreciated my alertness um, to to the, the scam. Um yeah, that's going on. Jeff, this is rampant right now. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of that, that that again is is going on here and I'm getting from a number I'm getting text from a number of people who said this happened. Jeff, my husband and I are among those who got unsolicited COVID tests earlier this year. I reported it to Medicare. They had to fill they had me fill out the fraud claim for every one. The kids were sent for the kits were sent from Illinois, from California, from the East Coast. I did get a response from Medicare indicating that they were looking into each one, which is good because here's if that has happened to you, I encourage you to call Medicare because I'm sure what happens a lot of times is you get the thing in the mail, and even though you didn't order it, you look at your Medicare bill and you're not being charged for it. So it's like, okay, you know, why do I care that I'm getting these unsolicited things? And I understand you should care, but it's like not like it's coming out of your pocket. Well, the reason you should care is this is a major scam that some sleazy operators are are pulling. And so, if that happened to you. It is worth, you know, taking 15 minutes of your time and, and calling and reporting it because, 
my guess is this is just the tip of the iceberg, and you've got a lot of slimy operators out there who've realized, hey, this is a gravy train that we can jump on, and, you know, we're we're not going to get caught. I mean, $27 million in fraud? I mean, seriously, they're, they're, they, they built like 800 people for COVID tests who've de- who are dead? I mean, you just th- – these people are completely unscrupulous, and they are defrauding all of us. So if you're one of these folks that got these kits um, – Make a call um, because, again, r- report it. and make it, Look, it's a nuisance. I understand that. And you're going to have to answer questions and you're probably going to have to fill out forms and things like that. But this we're all in this particular game. All right. When we come back, what should the Board of Regents do? Stick around. I, I just I, I really do love and appreciate all the different texts that we're, we're getting in it. I, I was saying earlier, one of the big things that's changed in, in this industry is the fact that now with streaming services, people can listen from all over. Here's a text that just came in. Jeff, hello from Singapore. All right. So Travis from Bayside, formerly Whitefish Bay, on the road, enjoying your last show. So hope my schedule allows me to hear the last two. In case it doesn't, congrats on a fantastic record. Rec- career and retirement i know uh, you and listen from time to time until i became a young father in 2008 it's true that radio shows can draw you in and i have sat in the driveway and garage many times during your show as my wife often asks turning on jeff <laughs> you helped guide me through my early years as a father and kept me company for hours with your voice of reason trying to pass that reasonableness on to my four daughters um so um as we say in the airline industry tailwinds and blue skies thank you well okay singapore I had to look at this. Singapore is 14 hours ahead of Milwaukee. So it's 3.22 a.m. And he's listening to the show. That, that I, I wish I had like a coffee mug or something to give, you know, because, you know, you're listening to this at 3.22 in the morning. How how very, very cool is that? But that's that that's also one of the things that I found about spoken word radio, and, and which is why spoken word radio is going to continue to thrive and survive. Because it's like, okay, you know, you start listening. It's 2008. You're a young father, and then, oh, okay, we're talking about issues that are important to us, and that's that's very very gratifying. So thanks for listening in Singapore, Travis. All right, I do not know what is going to happen this afternoon, this evening, but. Uh, I have an idea as to what should happen, and we're going to open up the phone lines and discuss this. For Let me kind of review the bidding on this. The legislature decides how they have the budget, and they, they dole out money. And when it comes to the UW system, the legislature has the final say on how much money goes to the UW system. As part of the state budget... Uh, the UW system was in line to get like, what is it, like about $800 million, which was going to go to build an engineering building, and it was going to be used for 4% raises for, um, 4% raises for, um, employees this year and 2% next year. All right. So that money is out there. The only, the only leverage that the Republican-controlled legislature in Wisconsin has over the UW system, because the way it stands now, I believe all the regents are, are Tony Evers' regents. The only leverage they have is, you know, when when they dole out money. So one of the hot-button topics over the last few years has been the obsession that UW has had with, with DEI, 
diversity, equity, um, inclusion positions. There's 130 people who work full-time in the DEI industry. And look, DEI is very, very controversial. I don't take any positions on this one way or, or the other, other than there's some people who say, oh, this is what we need to do. We need to get more persons of color. We need to more get more of this type and that type of person there. And the only way we can do this is if we have positions that are allocated specifically for you know people that fall into these, these groups and these programs. Whereas there are other people who believe that this promotes, for example, racism and discrimination by emphasizing certain classes and individuals over other classes of individuals. So that's the ongoing battle. So anyhow, what's happened is the Republicans in the legislature said, look, we, we've got to rein in what we believe is this out-of-control DEI stuff. So here's the deal. we got $800 million which is supposed to be used for, which has been appropriated to be used for raises and for buildings. Here's here's what we want. UW system, you can have the $800 million. But what we want you to do is to take like 40 of these 130 DEI positions, 43 actually. We don't want you to, we don't want to get rid of them. We don't say you have to fire people or anything like that. But we want them converted to positions that are designed to promote all the students. You know, it, it can still be, you know, you know, worrying about, you know, students who fit into this category or whatever, but it's not to the exclusion of other students. You can still have 77 or however many that's going to be positions devoted exclusively to DEI. Nobody loses their job. But then what happens to happen is we want to reallocate some of these to deal with the success of all the students. And that's the deal. This was a deal that was brokered by the president of the UW system, Jay Rothman, and was signed off on by the UW Madison Chancellor. Well, okay, over the weekend, by a vote of nine to eight, the regents said, no, we're going to reject that. We're, we're not going to do it. And as a result of that, no money gets appropriated for building the engineering building and things like that, and no money for raises. And I think the regents were thinking, Okay, if we do this, well, the Republicans in the legislature are going to cave. And it's been very, very clear that both in the Assembly and the Senate, there, there's no caving. The phrases are that this was the last, you know, best offer. If you want this money, we want you to take some of these DEI positions and we want you to reallocate. And again, you can keep DEI. We're not saying that that has to go, but we want a third of these positions reallocated to, heaven forbid, promote all the students and their success. Well, anyhow, on Saturday, the Board of Regents, by a vote of 9 to 8, said no. All right, so now everybody's up in arms, and they were applauded by some members of the faculty, and they were applauded by a lot of people of the left. You betcha, you stick to your guns. But now the reality is sinking in that no raises, no money for buildings, etc. So this evening, the Board of Regents is going to have another meeting to consider the same thing that they shot down over the weekend. And the word is out that at least one of the members of the regents who voted no on Saturday is going to change their vote and vote yes. That That's, again, the rumor. Who knows what happens till after this occurs? But the regents are apparently going to take another look at this this deal that they narrowly shot down. All right. Let's tee this up, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. 
in exchange for new building projects, raises that go out to 34,000, um, 34, um, 34, state workers get pay raises, money for building. The deal is you got to take 43 DEI positions and convert them to positions that are going to be designed to benefit the success of all the students. All right, is this a deal that the regents should take? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. I, um, I, as I always say, politics is the art of the possible, and this to me is this is politics at at its at its finest. You, DEI is extremely controversial. You you might think it's the greatest thing in the world: diversity, equity, inclusion, all that type of stuff. And other people view this as. Well, a lot of the the sort of hip and trendy stuff, which has been dividing college campuses and is a waste of time and resources. What, what's going on now is at least the Republic of the legislature is saying, look, we're willing to compromise on this. We think UW, you have been a bad steward of taxpayer dollars and you've gone overboard on this DEI. But we're not telling you you have to get rid of DEI. We are saying that you need to scale it back. So you've got 130 people who, you know, how can you have 130 people whose job is devoted primarily to DEI? Really? But but they're saying, okay, you can keep them, but what we're going to do is we want you to take like 43 of those jobs and we want you to transfer them. They, they can be designed to promote student success, but all student success. And in return for that, we're going to free up $800 million dollars. 34,000 state employees get raises. You're going to have money for building projects. And all we want is you to reclassify a, a relative handful of employees. And the Board of Regents said, no, we're not going to do that. Well, all right, I don't know what they were thinking because maybe they were thinking that there would be all this public pressure that would be brought on the Republicans in the legislature and there would be outrage. Well, the, the miscalculation is... I think outside of the world of academia and maybe outside of Dane County and some pockets of, uh, again, university communities across the, the area, I don't think there's too many people that are, are going to go to war over the fact that, gee, we're going to reclassify, you know, 43 DEI positions at UW. Matter of fact, I think that the common, the average person's approach is, why do we have this many positions that are devoted to this particular issue. Um, you know, 855-616-1620. Um, let's see. Jeff, um, if you want to take a specific class about DEI, it's one thing, but there's too much of this in our universities and not enough relevant content. I hope the Republicans stand firm on this. And uh, she says this is from the perspective of the mom of two UW college students. One of the other texters said, look, this is the only deal that they're going to get. You know, no question about this. Um, th- this is, uh, you know, th- this is the, the question. Jeff, um, so $800 million, that's a lot of dough. And, of course, you know, it's never enough for the system. Well, th- that $800 is just sitting out there. I mean, the, the UW system can have it. All the employees can have their raises. But this is what the Board of Regents did. They essentially said, we're going to mess over. We're going to deny raises to 34,000 state employees because we think keeping this classification of 43 DEI jobs 
that are designed to promote benefit, to promote development of just one or two types of students or three types of students, but not the overall student population. We are so far in this particular mindset that we're, we're going to deprive everybody of everything else. Now, I think what's happened is um, I think some people have had a, a reexamination and recognizing that the, the Republicans in the legislature are serious, that they're they're not. They're not backing down on on this one, and they appear to believe that they are on the winning side in their constituencies. I guess time will tell when you have elections that come up. But to me, there's a real simple thing that happens when the Board of Regents meets this afternoon, and that is, okay, this is our chance for a do-over. Here, we're going to approve it. And, And again, a lot of the smart thinking is that at least one and maybe more members of the Board of Regents have decided to change their vote, because otherwise there wouldn't be any point in having in having a, a meeting. I mean, they turned this down. They, they said, no, there's no new proposal that's on the table. So if if you weren't going to reconsider the vote, doesn't make any sense to have the meeting. We'll know by tomorrow. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. There's a way to feel better. Be well set to weather. The storms till the sun shines again When your compass is spinning And you're lost on the way Like a leaf in the wind, friend Hear me when I say Bubbles up, they will point you towards home No matter how deep That's, of course, Bubbles Up by Jimmy Buffett. It's, um, if you're a Buffett fan, it's one that's, uh, he, this is on his new album. Of course, Jimmy Buffett passed away a couple months ago, and he was very ill when he was working on on this. And it's, um, it's one of these songs, if you're a Buffett fan, it's tough to listen to without kind of tearing up. But, uh, this is, this is one of the, um, it's one of those tunes that kind of says, you know, Bubbles Up, and thanks for, Everything, um, yeah, Jeff. Here's one of our texts. I'm just, I am, I am just, I'm blown away by a number of the texts, and I can't read them all because that's all we do for three hours. But Jeff, I've been listening from 1999 to 2023. 174 Packer games, eight cars, seven jobs, five cats, one marriage, and one radio guy from noon to three every day. Thank you from both of us. That's Jim and Cheryl who are in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, listening to us. Jeff, it is with great respect I'm sending you this text message today. It's sad for me as a listener, but overjoyed for you and your family regarding your retirement. Glad you were able to hang up the microphone before your head really did explode from all the absurd social idiocracies. You've been a valuable social advocate for many topics that need to be brought for life, up to life, and that's um, from Dan, a 64-year-old loyal listener from Fort Atkinson. Um, Thank you so very much, and thanks for everybody for the calls. Then there, there was, there's this guy. So I, and and you know nothing is a hundred percent. So I've been getting hundreds, maybe thousands of things. So I, I open an email today, my email, and there's this guy. There's this. I have this crank who, every three months or so, writes these really, really nasty, hate-filled emails. And I, I just, I've never blocked them because what the heck. But I mean, it just, you hit the delete thing. But, and it always starts out the same. I'm never listening to you again. 
And then you, you get the email and you kind of want to say, hey, buddy, you know, don't you, you you've been telling me for five years that you're never listening again. And then you, you know, you, you pop up with one of these hate filled emails. And so it's it's he's in this category of what we call the I hate you every day crowd. You know, the people that just I hate this guy, and but feels compelled against start. I I know I said I was going to never listen to you again, but I was fill in the blank. I was in the car and everybody else had the radio on, et cetera, et cetera. And then and it's just kind of all right. This, this, this is this is how you choose to spend your time taking 15 or 20 minutes sending this guy on the radio who's leaving in a couple days one of these hate-filled emails. And it's like, okay, that's that's fine. I'll, I'll remember the 9,999 good ones and, you know, just find some other host to dislike. Okay. Uh, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I have predicted and hope very much that the Republican nominee is somebody other than Donald Trump. I, I and and for we don't need to go down this route. I've made that argument for quite a while, including the fact that I, I don't believe at the end of the day that, that Donald Trump can win. And I also I want I want to get past all this stuff. I, I want I want somebody who's forward looking not, okay, I've, I'm going to use four years in office to settle grievances and, and things like that. And I believe that if you're a Republican voter, you have good choices that are out there. For me, the obvious choice is Nikki Haley. And I've been a fan of Nikki Haley's for the longest period of time. Nikki Haley is starting to gain momentum. Now, I understand that, I mean, I, I read these these polls and they say, oh, nobody's going to beat Donald Trump. I, I don't believe that to be the case. But but Haley is starting to gain Momentum, and you're starting to see this. Um, you you had uh, the the Koch family, America's Prosperity, a couple of weeks ago, which endorsed her. But it wasn't just a hey, if you're a member of Americans Prosperity, we think you should vote for her. It was we're going to take millions of dollars and we're going to put it into her campaign, and we're going to take a lot of our grassroots organizers and we're going to ask them to start working the ground and going door to door. So that's a case where you have an endorsement that it's not just the endorsement, but it carries with you. It carries with you money. It carries with you you bodies and, and things like that. Yesterday or two days ago, Nikki Haley picked up another endorsement in New Hampshire. New Hampshire, of course, is the first primary. You've got the Iowa caucuses, and then you've got the New Hampshire primary. New Hampshire is very retail politics. By that, I mean since it is the first primary in the country, or historically has been, and New Hampshire is a small state, you know, you have the voters of New Hampshire who are used to you know, going and meeting the candidates and, and going to the, the, the coffee shops and, and running into the candidates. They're used to the retail sort of politics. So New Hampshire is sort of an odd state that way. And in many cases, since it is the first primary in the country, at least probably the first Republican primary in the country, voters have a certain expectation. It's different than a lot of states. Well, anyhow, um, yesterday, it was Tuesday, um, Chris Sununu, who is the governor of New Hampshire, who is extremely popular in New Hampshire, he came out and he endorsed Nikki Haley. Um, one of the things he said, he said, um, you know, it's unbelievable to see her out there. You're connecting with folks to feel the momentum is real and it's it's changeable. And, you know, he's he's said, OK, here's what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm I'm going to be out there. I'm going to start being with her in the diners and the American Legion halls and the auditorium. I'm encouraging people to get behind a winner, somebody who could beat Joe Biden in a general election. 
He says, hey, this is the governor. I call it retail management. Um, and, and so he, he's out there. So it's not just, gee, I think people should vote for Nikki Haley, but it's here. I'm, I'm popular. He's not saying that, but he is a very popular governor. I'm going to stand side by side with her and encourage people. You support me. I want you to vote for her. And uh, I mean, there's some people who might poo-poo the value of endorsements, but those those are people that wish they, they had the endorsements. But I do think this is kind of an interesting thing. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, obviously, as I said earlier, endorsements matter if they come with money and organization. I mean, Americans for Prosperity, that's a big deal because it comes with millions of dollars and it comes with, again, grassroots support. On the other hand, how about, I mean, does the governor of the state, the governor of the state coming out and saying, I think you should vote for Nikki Haley, does that make a difference? Do you ever change your mind or decide who to vote because of an endorsement from a politician, a media figure, whatever. Do endorsements matter beyond what else they bring? Again, money, you know, ground troops, things like that. I mean, that's why teachers union endorsements are are important because you know, in these local races, the teachers union endorses somebody for school board and then they get out and they work. The teachers have phone trees and they call their friends and they call people on the list. It's it's the workers that come with that to help bolster the grassroots. But apart from that, do endorsements matter? Do you ever decide who to vote for because somebody you like or somebody you respect has endorsed them? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Endorsements that bring money and and workers clearly have, have an impact. Does Does the fact that uh, the, the governor, the governor of your state that you like. Now, obviously, if it's somebody that you don't like, that doesn't matter. But in this case, uh, Chris Sununu, who's a very popular Republican governor in New Hampshire, where retail politics is big, he's he's out there saying, "Hey, I you should be voting for Nikki Haley." Um, Jeff, for me, endorsements don't matter. However, I've seen several interviews with Governor Sununu, and I really like him, and I respect his endorsements. I've listened to you for years from day one. Wish you the best. Happy uh, retirement. Thank you. Jeff, I'm a Republican. Endorsements matter huge to me. If the majority of powerful Republicans are supporting her, they obviously know more than we do and feel she's the best candidate to beat our current president. So for me, it's an easy choice. I'll back her because I want a Republican in the White House. Jeff, first of all, thanks. Uh, Congratulations on all the best in your retirement. I do believe endorsements matter, whether they are for good or for bad. We saw in election, the last election that many who were endorsed by President Trump didn't win. I'm a Democrat, but I truly believe that if Nikki Haley gets the nomination, she will be the next president. Um, yeah, Jeff, if it's a respected politician, I absolutely affected by someone endorsing a, a candidate. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's, you know, that that's, I think, a, a factor that is is there. And I'm hearing from a number of people who, as I always do, who are just died in the wool. Donald Trump's going to win. You know, don't you see? Look at the polls right now. He He's way ahead. You know, nobody has a chance to beat him. Well, OK, that's that's all well and good. I, I don't buy into that. And I also think that and I've made this argument before. I think that if Donald Trump is 
Rina is nominated again, he's going to lose. He's going to lose big time, and he's going to take down a whole bunch of GOP candidates along the way. And if he were to win, I think the next four years is going to be a very, very difficult four years, obsessed with trying to settle grievances from the last couple years. I guess I just I think it's time for somebody different. I think it's, you know, the idea of Biden-Trump redo on both sides, I think, is just aggravating to a lot of us. And um, again, you know, somebody said to me, well, you supported Tim Scott. What I said with Tim Scott is I think Tim Scott would have made a great president. I, I you know, we've had him on the program a couple of times. I, I believe that it wasn't his year. Doesn't mean I don't know that I ever necessarily endorsed Tim Scott. I just said I, I liked him. I like a bunch of the candidates. If if Ron DeSantis had run a better campaign, I mean, I don't have any problem with DeSantis, but I think Haley is merging as someone who really, um, if look, you look at these polls, Trump running neck and neck with Biden. If you want to be a poll watcher, you know, you do the Haley Biden polls. She's beaten him by 10, 15, 20 points in, in a lot of these swing states. I mean, Nikki Haley is the nightmare for Joe Biden and the Democrats because he doesn't beat her. She doesn't have the baggage that Donald Trump has. And some of us, look, I understand some of us pack light. We all have baggage. Some people pack lighter than others. And Donald Trump's got Donald Trump's got a whole steamer trunk full of baggage. Uh, Ray, Ray, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I I agree with you, Nikki Haley, because um, even though I'm a Dem, I voted for uh, Trump the last time. I still like the guy, but he, like you say, he's got too much baggage. And with all the coming out now, and, and what he's, all the garbage he's coming out now, just puts me behind him. That I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm for Nikki Haley. Yeah, I mean, nothing. So, uh, that's good. No, no. Well, thanks for calling. I mean, again, this is, and I guess the, to me, the ultimate question is, you know, will. You know, will there be, you know, is that going to motivate people to, um, is that going to be motivating people to, to, to go out? And if you're a voter in New Hampshire, are you going to say, oh, the governor likes her, so that means that I'm going to vote? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it's going to all work out. But I, I do think it's interesting that on both sides of the aisle, you've got people who are saying, okay, this is going to be a coronation for Joe Biden. He's just, and, and it's going to be a coronation for Donald Trump. I, I just, I'm telling you, and I'm, I'm going to be around on Twitter and maybe some other places. So you, you get to say, I told you so, if that's how it works out. But if it doesn't work out that way, and you see kind of a sea change of stuff over the course of the next, I don't know, several months, um, I'm, I'm going to, for those of you who are texting me now, I'm going to be out there with a giant, I told you so myself. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. John McCure, do you ever accumulate topics? I call them evergreen topics. You, I do. You, right. You, you know, and, and, and you know, you... 
you know, we prepare for our, our daily shows and you say, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then what happens is you don't get around to doing it. And so yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I have a fold and I, I have a folder and they're, they're like, they're good topics. There's stuff that I'm interested in, but it's just other yeah. stuff is. And so I, I, and you, you do the same thing. I do. And I have a folder also. I'm like you. I'm a paper guy. I highlight. I take notes. Yeah. I got a, I got an evergreen folder. Okay. Well, tomorrow on tomorrow's program. We're going into the evergreen. Oh, that's fun. For, for one o'clock, during the one o'clock hour of the pro, because I figure, I mean, I, I, I got, I, I carry, I've got this, this like knapsack. This is my life now. It's in this knapsack because we don't have desks here. So I, I carry everything. So I, I have two folders. I have the, the folder of stuff that I'm going to do in the given day. Yep. And then I have my evergreen folder, which has all sorts of stuff in it. They're, I was looking through it today. They're all good topics. Don't use them all. Give, give them to me. No, well, Bequeath them to me. Whatever you don't use during the one o'clock okay, hour tomorrow. Okay, for, but we're, we're going into this oh, that's evergreen fun. because there, there's, fun. there's no reason to keep these. I mean, it's, it's like two yeah. days and there's, there's no reason to keep hauling this stuff oh, around. That's so, a great idea. And so, I mean, and some of them actually, I, I look and some of them go back like three, four, five, or six yeah. months. And and I and I will every month or so, I'll go through the folder and I'll say, well, that's still a good topic, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. And it, it's it hasn't it's it's kind of timeless. But while the topic might be timeless, my time is running short. So we're gonna we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna do the evergreen topics oh, during that's the a great hour idea. tomorrow. Yeah. So that's fun. That will be fun. Hey, you. I was talking to Matzik about this a little earlier. Stock market just taking off, exploding yes. today. It's roaring. The Fed with some news that not only was good for today, but encouraging for next year. And the Dow, I saw, is just, it's over 37,000 now. Just turned, it just uh, top 37,000. So the Dow is up 443 points. Wow. It's over 37,000. The the NASDAQ is um, up hundred and almost 200 points, 190 points. That's 1.3%. And for people who have money in fixed incomes, yeah. um, that's that's doing well too because the the treasury yield has has dropped and so that means if you got money in fixed income or bonds you're going to get a nice kickback on on that. So I've been very critical of Jerome Powell. I, I think they were slow to the game and didn't handle things the best, but he just gave us a Christmas present. But absolutely, thank you, Chairman. So, so, exactly. So don't don't spend it all in one place. I mean, <laughs> I, I was telling Matzik maybe I can afford to retire now. You know, who knows? Yeah, exactly. You're who on know? track. Uh, well, <laughs> it's yeah, all good. We're we're on track. See you in a few right, minutes, I'll my friend. You. Okay. Yeah. Evergreen topics. I have been. I, I cannot read all the the text and the emails I get, but every once in a while, there's ones that. Um, oh, I mean, I find them to be very touching. Um, here here's one, Jeff. Um, I've been avoiding writing this for a few weeks. I, I hope it's find its way to you. I've been listening to you for 23 to 25 years now. I don't know exactly because my four kids were young when I started, and those days are a blur now. You and Charlie Sykes were my first introduction to talk radio. You've kept me company. You've helped me develop and fine-tune I, who I am politically. You kept me company during cancer treatments. I'm a 19-year survivor. God bless you. You introduced me to honor flights. I couldn't convince my World War II father to go on one. He would just say he did what he needed to do. You kept me steady and preoccupied in a bumpy marriage. You kept me up to date with current events. You kept me company when my nest emptied. You've been at my side through too many national disasters, terrorist attacks, school shootings. You've accompanied me on numerous road trips across the Midwest. You've helped me become a smarter voter. You taught me nothing good happens outside a strip club after 2 a.m. All the best to you and yours in the coming years. Congratulations and happy retirement. Many thoughts for being you. Um, that's from Ann. I, I almost don't know what to say to stuff like that. And, and if that's, if, if just, even if over the last 25 years, if, if, you know, we brought you a little bit of entertainment and 
Uh, you know, that was one of always that was one of the knocks that people got. People who didn't like spoken word radio or talk radio would say, "Oh, they're just entertainers." And my point was, well, you know, there, there's always an element of of entertainment to this. Hopefully, you're presenting stuff, you know, in an entertaining fashion. I don't apologize for for that, but you know, if if you can inform and you can entertain and you can educate and you can interest, I that that's that's a plus. And if if I've been your companion. Over the some period of time, over the last twenty five years, through good times and bad, I'm I'm glad. That's that's what I I've always tried to do, and you've also been my companion as well. So um, I, I appreciate that. And you know, you always know. You know, like I say, no show lasts forever, and you know when it's time to get off the stage. To, to that point, Al Michaels, Aaron, you know Al Michaels. Al, oh yeah, Al Michaels, um, who has pretty much done everything there is to do in the world of of sports broadcasting he was the play-by-play voice of monday night football from 1986 to 2005 so i mean that's what what a run then he called sunday night football on nbc from 2006 to 2021 so i mean he i mean i go back to 1995 he goes back to um, 1998 here at TMJ, 1995, starting to talk radio. But he goes back to 1986, the voice of Monday Night Football from 1986, the voice of Sunday Night Football from 2006. And he, he's 79 years old. And what, what happened is um, they, they, they eased him out of, of the, uh, the Sunday Night Football Role and what they did is they shifted him over and he did um, Thursday night football on on Prime Video and he's been doing that and um, <clears throat> apparently they're just announcing today that they've they've kind of pushed him off they they announced the playoffs you know, NBC's got the playoffs and he's not going to be part of the coverage apparently they've announced that um, he, he's he, he he did playoffs last year but at seventy nine they they've kind of they've decided to go. What what's the phrase they euphemistically use in in this industry, TV, radio, whatever? They're going to go in a different direction. That that's the phrase. So, um, you know, Al Michaels apparently, and the story I'm looking at says that he was surprised when they told him he was going to be moved off a, a playoff a, assignment. Um, and you know, Michaels has gotten some criticism and stuff, but the, the times change. You know, people change, etc. And you always you always. You always want to get off the stage before they kick you off the stage. You always want to get off that bus, that one station, before they push you off the bus. That's that's sort of my advice. And I mean, I mean, I I mean, I don't I don't pay much attention to the announcers other than Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are not my favorites. But I don't pay a lot of attention to them. And Al Michaels had a storied career, and you you kind of wonder would he have been better suited when they decided to move on. A year or two ago, to just say, "Okay, I'm I'm going to take the victory lap and go into retirement," as opposed to saying, "Well, no, I, I want to continue to do it, and I'll I'll accept the shift to Thursday night football because now, now it's pretty clear that they've they've shown him the door." And you know, sometimes you just want to go out. You want to go out on a high point. And um, Al Michaels, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, he's I don't know if he'll be back on Thursday night football again. My guess is probably probably not. But he wanted to do the playoffs, and they said no, so move on. Hey, um, speaking of going out on not necessarily a high point, the elections have consequences. And one of the things that has always 
befuddled me, I guess for for want of a better word, is sometimes sometimes voters get it right, and sometimes voters collectively just screw it up in a big way. And one of the examples of that was four years ago, the city of Milwaukee voters had a, a chance when they were voting for city attorney. Now, the city attorney is the person who is responsible for doing the legal work for, for the city, you know, handling lawsuits that are brought against the city, um, prosecuting traffic offenses in municipal courts, things like that. And for years and years and years in the city of Milwaukee, the city attorney was a guy named Grant Langley. And and Grant and I, we we would disagree on issues from time to time, but he was a really good, smart guy who made, in my opinion, decisions not based on politics. He he ran a good office. He was, in general, well-respected by the assistant city attorneys who worked there. And I'm not saying that everybody loved him. If you're the boss sometimes, you know, you're – you're 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 going to you know generate some controversy, but anyhow, he he ran for re-election to what would have been I don't know if his fourth term or whatever, and he lost to a guy named Tierman Spencer, who was elected. I, I think there's a lot of factors going in. He was elected because he wasn't Grant Langley. He was elected. Uh, racial racial politics played in. He was black. Grant Langley was white. And we went through this period of time. Okay, we're we're going to vote change for change's sake, for the sake of just of change. Chairman Spencer has been an absolute complete disaster as the city of Milwaukee city attorney. Just a complete disaster. I cannot tell you how many former assistant city attorneys who don't necessarily agree with me on politics, have contacted me saying, Jeff, you've got to do more topics on this. People don't know what's going on in, in the city and how out of control this is. And there's been incredible turnover, and there's EEOC complaints, and there's all these different investigations. The guy is a complete and total disaster, and it was completely foreseeable. But this was one where voters just had a hissy fit and decided, okay, we're we're going to replace the guy because this is the new flavor of the month. Well, the new flavor of the month turns out to be, you know, pick a flavor that you don't like. He's been a disaster, and people have left the city attorney's office. It is just a complete and total mess. So I think a lot of people thought, oh, there's no way that he runs for reelection. But yet the Journal Sentinel is reporting that he apparently um, tonight. He's having a campaign kickoff fundraiser um, for his reelection campaign. Now, he, the originally they, they apparently posted this um, on Facebook, and the post included a number of typos, misspelling fundraiser, F-U-N-D-R-A-I-S-E-R, as F-U-N-D-R-A-I-S-I-E-R, fundraiser, um, inviting people to join him for at the private event to be held on West Brown Deer Avenue. There is no, of course, Brown Deer Avenue. It's Brown Deer Road. It's the city attorney. And, and I mean, look, I, I don't mean to be overly technical about this, but if you're announcing your reelection campaign, you're trying to raise money, you might want to have somebody proofread, and you're a lawyer, for God's sake, you might want to have somebody proofread the, invest, the, the invitation. And apparently... It, they, they didn't even bother. But that's the sloppy way that's, that Tierman Spencer has run the city attorney's office over the course of the last couple of years. Now, there are a couple people, at least one announced candidate who's running uh, against 
him, a state representative who's already in the race. Maybe some other people will, will join in the race as well. But this is one of these classic examples of where uh, elections matter. And I understand if you don't live in the city of Milwaukee, you know, who do you care who the city attorney is? Well, if you do live in the city of Milwaukee, you should care because the city attorney's office has been and I, I have not spent as much time over the last four years talking about this because it, it's kind of narrow. And I appreciate that, you know, what what do you care about some of the decisions or the fact that you got assistant city attorneys are leaving or the places in complete disrepair? What what do you care about that if you're not a, a resident of the city of Milwaukee? But I got to tell you, this is one where, again, the voters, the voters, you know, it's sort of like the, the cu- people who say the customer is always right. no. The customer is not always right. Sometimes the customer is flat out wrong. And and sometimes, you know, if you're a business person or whatever, sometimes you got to fire the customer because they're flat out wrong. So for people who say the voters are always right, no, sometimes the voters make huge mistakes. And Milwaukee City voters four years ago when they elected Tierman Spencer made a huge mistake. They have a chance to rectify that next spring. Will they do it? I don't know, but they've got a chance. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Aaron, producing the show today and always. All right, here I love this text. I love this text. Jeff, I'm hoping on your last day, that would be Friday. I'm hoping on your last day, maybe the last 10 to 15 minutes, You just lose your crap, although they don't say crap. You just lose your crap and go off on everybody that deserves it. Laugh out loud. Unload on Democrats, millennials, the mirror, the the mayor, the governor, the president, Trump, etc. Good luck. Maybe maybe we should. Again, I'm still trying to piece together what the the last show is going to look like. We are. uh, Tomorrow is is Evergreen Day. We're going to pull out this folder that I've been carrying around, lugging with me every day, bringing it to work. We're going to pull it out and go through it. We're going to see the topics that, you know, because, again, I, I got nothing, no reason to hold them back. So we're going to go through a lot of the topics that, that didn't make the cut on any given day, but I've been carrying around. And then I've, I've been wrestling with the idea of Friday is going to be, yes, they do exist, because we're going to have a number of we're going to have a number of people from my life who, and I, I always feel... The, the, the deal is when I meet new people or meet friends, the, the deal is I always tell them, hey, you understand, you know, stuff that goes on, this, this could end up being part of, of the radio show. That's what comes with being like my friend. And um, and I, I just and I always apologize to people. It's kind of like, you know, my my brother. It's like, sorry, you know, but, you know, you, you, you've been a, a story part. And I think he's been able to forgive me for some of that over the years but it, it's 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 like that's the kind of way it works and so i, I am going to allow uh, there's people they really do exist and there's going to be people down here and we're going to bring some of them in who've you know been the subject of of stuff over the years we're going to talk to them but i actually do kind of like that idea just go ahead and and just lose it um just go ahead and you know lose this you know for maybe about 15 minutes it, it won't be in the last segment of the program but maybe somewhere along the line jeff's head explodes one final time <laughs> just thinking all right uh israel is starting to do something that we talked about a couple weeks ago i had a if if you weren't listening when we talked about this topic i have a uh, very dear friend um who i've been playing golf with for years and years uh, and his name is Mike. Mike did two tours of duty in Vietnam. 
And Mike's, he was a Marine, is a Marine. Once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. And Mike's assignment, and Mike is probably like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, Mike's assignment in Vietnam is he was one of the guys that would go into the tunnels. You know, the Viet, you know, the, the Viet Cong and stuff, they, they, they had tunnels. That, 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 and that's, they'd spring up behind American soldiers and plan ambushes and stuff. And so <clears throat> patrols would go out and they would find these tunnels. Mike was one of the guys because he was, you know, I don't, he's not a small guy, but he, he was one of the smaller guys in the outfit. His assignment was to go down the tunnels and they, they, they'd give him a flashlight and a pistol and <clears throat> he'd, he'd go down in the, the tunnels, you know, and you'd be looking for what's down in these tunnels. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like. And, you know, he, he did two tours of duty and, and, you know, I, I, he doesn't like to talk about that stuff. A lot of the, the vets don't, but, you know, he would tell me the stories of that. So we were talking the other day, one of the problems that um, exists in, in Israel right now with the war with Hamas is the fact that for years and years and years, Hamas has built this, this, this structure of underground tunnels, you know, under, under Gaza. And so that allows them to store food and it allows them to store munitions. It allows them to hide hostages and it allows them to, to spring up, you know, and ambush Israeli troops and things like that. You know, you're, you're not going to get rid of Hamas until you take out these tunnels and, and get in and, and take out all the hiding places and things like that. And it, it's very, very dangerous when you send, you know, people down because sometimes these, these tunnels are booby trapped and, and things like that. And you've got to be watching out for that. And if you go down there and you stumble onto Hamas fighters, I mean, you're in a firefight in very, very small quarters. So you, you've got to take these tunnels out. And the question is, how do you end up doing it? And one of the ideas that was floated, and I talked to my buddy Mike about this, is, you know, what do you think about flooding the tunnels? You know, you've got you got the Mediterranean that, that's right there. And we, we we had discussed this over a beer or something, and we, you know, we were talking about this. And then I saw in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago, they were reporting that Israel was at least considering doing this, bringing in, you know, high-volume, high-speed pumps with the idea that they were going to start the process of flooding the tunnels. Now, this is an imperfect thing because you don't exactly know, you know how it's going to drain. You've got hostages that are down there. How is this going to impact you know, them? But you've you got to get these fighters out of these tunnels or else you're going to continue to have this massive loss of life, including massive loss of civilian life. So it, it's a very controversial thing because then you got some people who are saying, well, if you pump all the seawater in, you know, you're going to contaminate the, the regular drinking water, all these different things. But but at the same time, to me, this was something it, it's it's a very, very difficult choice. But if you got to get these if you got to get Hamas out of the tunnels, it seems to me that flooding some of them makes a lot more sense than having to send people down there. And I understand you can do this with drones and things like that, but that's a, a limited sort of thing. Anyhow, here's the follow-up. Um, Wall Street Journal reporting today, I think exclusively, Israel's military has begun pumping seawater into Hamas's vast complex of tunnels in Gaza, according to U.S. officials briefed on the Israeli military's operations, part of an intensive effort to destroy the underground infrastructure that has underpinned the group's operation. The move to flood the tunnels with water from the Mediterranean, which is in its early stage, is one of several techniques Israel is using to try to clear and destroy 
the tunnels. Israeli officials say Hamas's underground system has been the key to its operations on the battlefield. The tunnel system, they say, is used by Hamas to maneuver fighters across the battlefield, store the group's rockets and munitions, and enables the group's leaders to command and control their forces. Um, Israel also believes some of the hostages um, were inside the tunnels. Now, of course, the, the downside of this is that if you flood the tunnels, some of the families of the people who are being held hostage fear that flooding the tunnels could kill their loved ones. So um, there's no good answer to this. I, I mean, and, and and yes, that that's a definite reality. Of course, you don't know how many hostages are still alive. You don't know what's happened to them. You just know that you've got to bring an end to this. And I guess I'm at the point where if flooding the tunnels ends up helping to destroy Hamas faster by depriving them of their ability to fight back, that, that's all the better. Because the longer this goes on, the more you're going to have soldiers that are killed and the more you're going to have civilian casualties. So th- there's no good choice for this. But um, this, if they are in fact doing it, this to me is a different stage in the war. It also raises the question about how over the course of the last decade or two decades <clears throat> could Israel allow Hamas to just build this underground network of tunnels where you knew this was what they were doing, storing weapons and things like that. But that's a different question. You gotta, you gotta get those tunnels gone. And if you, you gotta get those tunnels gone. My, my English teacher would be appalled by that. I am, I apologize. You must get, eliminate the tunnels. You must eliminate the tunnels. How's that? And if this is a way to do it, yes, you do put some of the hostages' lives at risk. But what do you think's happening to them, you know, when you have, you know, the, the kind of bombing and the things that they're doing? I think that this is a, a good idea, at least on a limited basis. But they're starting to do this now. They're starting to flood the tunnels. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Now, whatever texture says... Jeff, um, your English, your English is fine. Your grammar is fine, just not perfect. At least you admit it when you're you're, you're it, Many never admit their mistakes. Yeah, I catch myself every once in a while. You know, it's, and and sometimes it is for it is for um, emphasis, but other times I just catch myself and thinking, my gosh, my English teachers would just be going nuts about that. But. At least I do understand it. Okay, so I get this snarky email. Well, yeah, it says go go ahead, flood the tunnels, and then you know what we're going to do is you're going to poison the salt the earth. So I guess those American hostages better hold their breath. Oh, this is awful. Okay, look, there, there's no good alternatives here. A number of texters are pointing out. Yeah, I agree. Flood the tunnels. Bombing kills hostages as well. Um, Yes. I mean, Jeff, another great thing about flooding or smoking the tunnels, it only kills or affects Hamas soldiers and the hostages if they're down there. And the world is angry about the Palestinian people who are innocent or being hurt. This doesn't affect them. Um, yes. I mean, see, that's exactly the, the point. Um, you, you have these alternatives. Um, and then again, oh, no, nobody would think that intentionally drowning other human beings is OK. Well, you're, you're not. You're, you're not intentionally drowning them. What you're doing is you're giving them the options. You're forcing them above ground. It's not like, oh, you're in a cave and you're trapped in the cave. You can get out. You can take the hostages out. What they're just doing is they're destroying the hiding place that these terrorists have. And I, I understand that there's some people who apparently 
again, don't understand what happened on October 7th and don't understand that these terrorists are committed to killing Jews and things like that. But I mean, to me, there's no good alternatives. But one of the things that are out there is you've got a series of bad alternatives. And if you can force the Hamas fighters out of the tunnels in order to I mean, take them down or capture them or whatever, as opposed to just continuing to bomb where innocent civilians end up getting killed. Isn't that a isn't that a superior sort of alternative for all the self-righteous people out there who don't recognize that there's not a lot of good choices that go on in a war or have these anti-Semitic tendencies who don't care that, you know, you've got these terrorists who are committed to killing not just the Jews in Israel, but Jews all over. That's what from the river to the sea means. Okay, let me take a quick break back with more in just a minute. It is. It's one of the unintended consequences of something that's been going on. I'll explain. We'll discuss. I mean, for people who are like, oh, blood in the tunnels, that's unchristian, that, that's terrorist. Okay, real, real simple. Then, I mean, pro- all... All the terrorists have to do is come out of the tunnels and bring the hostages with them. Problem solved. I mean, no, no drownings, no, no nothing. But, you know, the longer that you just allow these terrorists to, I don't know, stay in the, stay in these tunnels and, and hide, the longer you allow them to keep the hostages, the worse things are going to get and the more civilian casualties you have. So, I mean, I actually think, you know, no good choices in a war, but this to me makes a lot more sense than, I don't know, continuing to allow a a war where you have Hamas, this terrorist organization that uses human shields and operates out of mosques and operates out of hospitals. Um, The the longer you allow them to continue, the more the civilian casualties are going to be. And and if they don't want to be drowned in the in the tunnels, if you flood them easy, no problem. Just come on out. Come on out. And hopefully you'd like to see them surrender as well. Okay, one of the. it really, I think, took off during COVID, and that's because a lot of people, we forget this, but I mean, a lot of people ended up you know, losing losing their jobs or being laid off or downsized or whatever, and, and so there were a lot of business. You couldn't go into restaurants anymore. You couldn't go into bars anymore. Um, there were only essential businesses that were allowed to operate. And for people who worked during COVID, I think a lot of people started appreciating the fact that they, they were working or even if they were working reduced hours. So tipping became more prevalent. And, and what we did is we got into a situation where it would be things that we wouldn't necessarily tip on, but suddenly we, we started tipping and that we, that we started tipping on, on these things. And so th- that has continued. And so now we're at a point, and we've talked about this on the program before, where you, you go to a, a self-serve kiosk at the airport and, you know, you're already getting an overpriced bottle of water or whatever. And you go there and you put your credit card in and there's a thing that says, would you like to leave a tip? Uh, 15%, 18%, 20% or whatever. You go to the self-service kiosk at Miller Park, at Miller Park, American Family Field. And, you know, you grab a couple beers and a thing of peanuts and you go up to the self-service thing. And it's like, okay, do, do you want a tip? Leave this tip. And, and there's this kind of almost societal pressure that we feel for, for people to leave, leave tips. And I mean, look, you don't want to be cheap. And as I've said this before, I think 
you know, people in the service industry who, you know, at places I patronize, I think, you know, think that they would generally say that I am not a, a I am not a cheap tipper. My my late wife Sue, who you know grew up in a very very grew up without a lot of money. She always she always we we left if the service was good, we left more than the anticipated tip. And the feeling that that Sue drilled into me was, <clears throat> look, this five dollars, this extra five dollars means more to the server, fill in the blank, whoever it was, than it does to us. And maybe we're not always going to be in a position where we can do it, but we are right now, so let's do that. And so that's that's always the position that I've 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 followed, but. That was with the typical things where you would be expected to tip. Now we are expected to tip for you know almost anything at the self-service places. I mean, do you tip at the dry cleaners when the the gal or the guy goes and brings your you know brings your clothes back? And and there's almost this expectation that you tip for everything. Well, here's here's one of the things that's happening. It's an unintended consequence. Story in the Wall Street Journal: Tired of tip requests, consumers are getting stingy. As of November, service sector workers in non-restaurant jobs made 7% less in tips than a year ago. People, this is the first line of the story, people are cutting back on tipping, frustrated by ubiquitous requests for gratuities. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. We only got a couple minutes. Do you find yourself tipping less than you did, say, a year ago? Because that's what they're starting to see more and more people. It's kind of this blowback about, you know, this this isn't something that we would typically tip for. And people are kind of fed up with, you know, OK, you're stocking the shelves at, at the at American Family Field. Why should I tip for that? I don't tip the kid that's stocking the shelves in the grocery store, for example. 855-616-1620. Do you find yourself I don't, stingy? I don't think is the right word. But do you find yourself Cutting back on especially non-restaurant tipping. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff, I was in Minneapolis over the weekend. Went to a tap house. That's where they have 40 tap beers and finger food. Went to pay, and there's an automatic 20% gratuity added to all checks. So I'm serving myself with the tap beers, but they automatically put 20% on the bill. Jeff, asking for a tip at a self-service station at Lambeau or American Family Field is a joke. The guy literally opens the beer. There it is. I've chosen my beer. I've chosen my peanuts. I have not been served except by myself. No need to tip in that situation. Jeff, um, this is an assumptive tactic that was started during COVID and continues, but I don't like it. I'll tip if there's good service. Jeff, this is ghost tipping. Um, who am I and who am I tipping? It's a leftover remnant from COVID, not for me. Well, again, the story in the Wall Street Journal says there's starting to be a backlash as more and more people. And, and again, this is it's also this focuses on non-restaurant tipping. Um, so, I mean, that's a whole different story when you've got the servers that are there. Let's start with uh, John in Burlington. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, once again, congratulations on your retirement. You. Uh, you will be missed on the radio waves. Thank um, you, sir. Anyway, so I went out uh, Christmas shopping, and I was getting uh, places that family members like gift cards from. And I you know, I paid with a credit card, and it comes up. I'm getting a card that somebody's going to tip on that dinner later, and they're asking for a tip on it. I, uh, two places were like that, and I, I just... Uh, I just <laughs> No tip. And I'm a good tipper when we got restaurant service, you know, 25, 30%. So I, I, but they're doing nothing, you know, so. Well, right. No, thanks for calling. And that's, look, and I, I mean, I, I don't know what the standard is. You know, 
I, I've always, we'll have times when, if, if we have a service person come to the house or something and they show up on time and, and they, they, they perform the job well or stuff. And, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll give somebody 10 bucks and say, Hey, go have, go have a go have lunch on me or something like that. So, I mean, it, it's not that I'm against this, but I am kind of against this sort of forced tipping. And I, I think more and more people are just saying, wait a second, you know, what, it's one thing if you want to do it voluntarily, but it's another thing when there's almost this expectation that's out there that you're going to tip on things. And I get it when it was going on during COVID because you wanted to keep the businesses open and you wanted to you recognize that these employees, um, maybe their hours have been cut or whatever. So I understand during COVID, but the pandemic's over. Don in Brookfield. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Really going to miss your show. I've Thanks. enjoyed it ever since young Dan left. Oh, boy, you um, go back a long time. <laughs> you go back a long Dan time. And I are actually, oh, yeah, good. Dan and I are actually friends. Good. Yeah. Um, but as far as the tipping is, when they put the little iPad in front of you with the predetermined tip rates and then stare at you like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> that is beyond obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh well, absolutely. It's like. Okay, well, I'm I'm going to hit you know zero. No, thanks. Sir. I mean, I, I'm becoming more militant on on this, and and again, it's not being stingy. It's not being cheap. It's just like okay, th- this is one of these things where I, if if you're if you are an employer in a typically non tipping job and you're not paying people enough, well, then what you need to do is you need to start paying them more. Uh, Jeff, I ordered a calendar from Etsy earlier this month. It asked for a tip. What am I tipping for? Charge more if that's the case. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's no question. Jeff, I have no problem to tip workers that do a personal service for me, like serving my food or cutting my hair. Absolutely. However, all the other services like stocking shelves, selling me flowers, or other items are covered under your wages that you agreed to. No tip for me. Sorry. I mean, that's a. I mean, that's a fair. And where do you draw the line? I mean, why? Why aren't we tipping the cashier at the grocery store who, who's ringing up the stuff? You know, why aren't we, you know, saying, hey, add 10% to the bill? But we don't do that. We don't tip the, the, the kid that's stocking the shelves, kid, or the man or the woman who's stocking the shelves at the grocery store. I mean, but we, we tip other people who are performing similar services. It's just, I, I guess, I, I think it's one thing to tip, but I think there is kind of a blowback. And candidly, with the expectation that we tip more in what would be traditional non-tipping situations, I, I got to wonder if pretty soon this is going to spill over and people who are servers or something are going to notice that they're getting less tips because people are reacting in that fashion. Okay, that's it for me for today. When we come back, we'll find out what Greg and John have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.